Just ask the question. You've probably heard something like that before. Deep down, we all know the power of questions to make us more effective and empathetic. But as our guest knows exceptionally well, most of us don't really understand how questions work or how to make them work for us. He has asked questions of some of the most powerful and well-known people on the planet, as well as lots of people you would have never heard of. And he has lessons for you on how to be more successful through the questions you ask. It's the Emmy Award-winning journalist, now teacher and author, Frank Sesno, on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in, and thanks for joining us. I'm Jim Carr. Let's just stipulate that we don't ask enough questions. And it's likely that when we do ask questions, we could do a better job of it. Whether you're interested in selling, recruiting, managing, inspiring, or connecting, maybe all of the above and more, your skill and confidence in asking the right questions can make a big difference in your success. Frank Sesno has a lot of answers about questions. You probably know Frank from his visible and successful career as a journalist, especially the 21 years he spent at CNN as White House correspondent, anchor, and Washington bureau chief. He has interviewed five U.S. presidents and thousands of political and business leaders, ranging from Colin Powell and Benjamin Netanyahu to Bill Gates. Today, he is director of the School of Media and Public Affairs at the George Washington University, creator of Planet Forward, a user-driven web and TV project highlighting innovations and sustainability, and the author of a very useful book titled Ask More, The Power of Questions to Open Doors, Uncover Solutions, and spark change. This episode is going to be one to bookmark, very valuable, a lot of fun, and I'm hoping that Frank will not do any real-time analyses of my questions. Frank Sesno, welcome to the Manager Message Podcast. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. Let me start with something you wrote early on in your book. You expressed your concern, as you put it, your alarm about the questions that we ask or don't in our everyday lives. Frank, what is it that alarms you and do you see things getting worse? Yeah, I'm alarmed because how fast we move. I'm alarmed that we assert more than we ask. We argue more than we ask. And we are communicating in different ways now. My children don't pick up the phone and talk anymore. They're all about text messages and text messages are a quick blast. And then they're waiting for an instant response. The ability to ask, listen, ask more, figure things out, sense someone's mood, learn something from someone's facial expressions, word choice, voice tone. It's just under siege, I think. We're all kind of operating in constant information overload mode. And I think one of the things I realized and learned in doing the book is that it's not just about being present. It's not just about active listening. It's about knowing what you want out of it and how you're going to ask your way through it. I just think that great leaders, great partners, great journalists are great listeners and great askers. And probably have a lot of preparation about that as well. I wanted to ask you, 
given your journalism training and experience and what you're doing now, is there something unique in how journalists are trained and coached to ask questions compared to the rest of us? No, actually not. And I think that's one of the things that should be changed (laughs) in the world of journalism. No, I teach a class here at George Washington University called The Art of the Interview with, with my students. And what I discover, first of all, there are almost no books for them to buy, to learn about how to do this, because there's very little out there. Secondly, the interviewing techniques that are available in most textbooks are pretty cursory. They're pretty superficial. And thirdly, you can't just do this on instinct alone. It's amazing what you learn and what you realize when you think about this. You know, asking a question is kind of like air. You breathe it, you take it for granted, you don't really think about it at all. But, you know, if there's a problem with it, suddenly you realize how serious it is. And I'm sure that lots of people who watch interviews or talk shows or whatever have gotten angry at this person or that. Well, why didn't you follow up? Why didn't you just hear what the person just said? Or why don't you just shut up and ask your question? Whatever it is. (laughs) So I think there's not nearly enough training in this. And what I have found since the book published, and this has really surprised me, is how widespread it is in how many other professions that I've heard of and heard from where people feel that questioning is not robust enough, not creative enough, and again and again and again is not connected well enough to listening. And your book, Ask More, is for, I think, the 99.9% of us who are not journalists. It has immense relevance to people on and off the job. And just as a setup to this, as I was going through the book and how valuable I think you can be for a professional business audience here, I think back, I had experience for several years in a peer advisory group, and we would get together every month. We had a chair, a professional facilitator, and work through issues and questions for one another. And it was a very good thing. We had an excellent facilitator to help us learn the process over time. But to your point, I remember how difficult it was for us all to learn how to use questions appropriately. And our leaning was to just jump in very quickly with our advice or a point of view that was kind of dressed up as a question, you know, kind of, have you tried or have you thought about or can't you just? I wonder if certainly on a professional level beyond journalism, do you see that as a common weakness when it comes to people just approaching questions overall? Very much so. I mean, thinking about the structure of a question is quite interesting. As you mentioned, I did not write this book for journalists. I come at it from a journalistic point of view, from someone who's not only had to ask questions, but, and this is really torture, watch yourself and listen to yourself (laughs) asking questions (laughs) and saying, ugh, you know, make it sharper, get to the point, ask one question at a time, listen carefully and respond to what you just heard or didn't hear, be focused, know where you're going, have a strategy. Those are all things that connect the dots really powerfully. You're right. A lot of people want to actually state their case before they ask a question. I call it the premise question formula. So someone will give a six-minute speech, and then at the end, don't you agree? (laughs) (laughs) Or they'll state their opinion, and then they'll say, well, what do you think about this? And by the time, depending on who you're talking to. So if you're talking to a subordinate like that, and you kind of lay everything out, and then you ask someone's opinion or whatever, you've already put them on notice that you've got a point of view. And if there's a power relationship there, it's going to take probably a pretty extraordinary person to disagree with you or to stop you or to say, I don't agree. So how you ask a question, how you use your own voice tone when you ask it, because I can say, Jim, how are you? Or Jim, how, how are you? Jim, how are you? 
you know, and I can say the exact same words and I can sound like I'm challenging someone or I'm reaching out to embrace someone or I'm pushing back against someone simply by how I use my voice and voice tone. So I think that there's a great deal worth thinking about here for people who are in a work environment. You may be at a staff meeting, for example, and you want to ask a question, but you worry that it's going to sound like a stupid question. You worry that you're going to sound like, through your question, that you're putting up impediments, that you're somehow not on board, or that you're challenging someone. And so then people don't ask. They shut down, or they're fearful. Well, that's not bringing your best game to the meeting, to the business, to the enterprise. And so I think having some awareness of this and doing some practicing and some exercises can make an enormous difference. By the way, if you're the boss, it's even more important to know how to ask questions. I would imagine it's more important if you're the boss, both in terms of the internal relationships, as you mentioned, where you have power structures involved, getting the most ideas, getting the most cooperation and collaboration among your colleagues, but also... I would imagine, Frank, if you're the boss, and I see this a lot, others look to you to model the behavior that you want everyone to have. So if the boss is lousy at asking questions, then no one gets better at asking questions, right? That's right. I interviewed several people for the book, and by far the most inspiring and best was Colin Powell because of his leadership, and that's what I was looking at. That chapter was dealing with strategic questioning, looking over the horizon and using questions in a group to challenge your own and others' conventional wisdom, right? You want to think about, <laughs> what am I not thinking about here? What are we not anticipating? What could go wrong? What's the possible downside? What are our risks? And Powell had what he called the commander's rule, which I love, which is he would bring his generals in once a week, and they'd have this session where he wanted them to ask him questions, and he asked them questions. But his commander's rule was the commander speaks 30% of the time. Last I checked with my math, which is not always that great, that would leave 70% of the time for the commander to be listening, for others to be speaking. And Powell was very deliberate in saying that that was purposeful because he was trying to draw them out, create an atmosphere where they knew that they could speak. And so hats off to Powell. Now, we looked at strategic questions when they worked for him, by the way, in the first Gulf War, and strategic questions when they weren't asked in the second war, and we're still in Iraq, by the way. So... While I won't hang everything on the questions that were asked at that time, I found it very significant. And I think there's a huge lesson that people can take in the work environment, and especially if they are in positions of leadership, to send the signal that they're genuinely curious, send the signal that they want to ask, to ask others to set that tone that you were talking about, and then to shut up and listen. It's a great example there with Colin Powell and the use of strategic questions. And message managers, one of the things that I like a lot and find Frank's book, Ask More, to be so valuable is he sets up different scenarios, very strategic ways of thinking. What is it that you're trying to do with your questions? Are you trying to drive creativity? Are you trying to learn what's wrong? Are you trying to inspire and entertain people and draw them out? So I thought we might get into some of those uh, different categories, types of questions, Frank, that you lay out there. And you even have some specific question guides there in the back of the book. You mentioned the strategic questions and used Colin Powell as the example of that. So let's start there. And those are the kinds of questions are really about setting strategy and priorities and confronting biases 
those would seem to be from a business standpoint, you know, the strategic planning sessions are when the team's getting ready to set strategy or decide whether to make a big investment or not, et cetera. Is that where you see a good application and what's important about strategic kinds of questions? Exactly. The strategic questions are, what is our ultimate goal and aim here? It's not about what we're going to do today or tomorrow or next week. It's about what we're trying to do one, three, five years from now. And those questions are gigantically important because, as I said before, they help you look over the horizon. They help you check for the downside. I think very importantly, they allow you to challenge yourself and others to try to be sure that you're not engaging in groupthink. I've been on several governing boards and I've gone through several strategic planning exercises and I've led a few myself. And what I have found to be the single most valuable and interesting part of that is when it's the facilitator or whoever's at the head of the table throwing those questions down that kind of make people scratch their heads or stop for a moment. You know, what are we trying to do here? How do we define success? What are our unanticipated obstacles that could come along? How does this reinforce our values? Where is the return on investment beyond the bottom line? Can we even define what that is? Those sorts of questions that are posed to a room, like a good brainstorming session, as long as people have the license to respond honestly, are some of the most important questions that can be asked. And okay, you're gonna buy another business, you're gonna merge, you're going to get married. <laughs> You're going to cash in all your chips and move to the mountains. You want to be sure that this isn't being done as an impulsive activity, but as something that you can really set your sights on. And that, as I said, one, three, five years from now, you'd say to yourself, I knew what I was doing. I did it deliberately. I asked the right questions going in. Excellent. And so strategic questions aren't just for the board of directors. As you said, major life decisions, family decisions, anything that involves setting priorities and placing some sort of a big bet, I guess, would be good fodder for strategic questions. I think so. I mean, as I say, these are long range questions. You know, I want to come back to the Colin Powell example for a minute, if I may. Is that okay? Of course. When he was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs working for George H.W. Bush, and Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, and the air campaign had taken place, and the mobilization of troops, the deployment of troops had taken place. There was a moment when they had to decide, are we really going to go to war now? Are we going to go to a ground war now? And there literally were eight questions that the two of them, President Bush and Colin Powell, teed up. And Colin Powell said to the president, Mr. President, if we can say yes to each of these questions, then I recommend that we go. And the questions were very interesting. And if you apply them in other ways to a business, think of them applying to a business or to yourself, you can broaden these out. Is a vital national security interest threatened? In other words, is there a real purpose here? Is the action supported by the American people? Do we have genuine broad international support? Have the risks and costs been fully and frankly analyzed? Have all other nonviolent policy means been fully exhausted? In other words, alternatives. Have the consequences of our actions been fully considered? In other words, what could go wrong? Do we have a clear, attainable objective? In other words, do we know where we're going? Is there a plausible exit strategy to avoid endless entanglement? Now, think about that and those sorts of questions adapted to various other settings. Those, I think, are model strategic questions. Big, long-range, check-me-at-the-door <laughs> kinds of questions. <laughs> 
Excellent. Now, in addition to the category of strategic questions, you have some others, and I thought we could address those as well. One in particular for this audience are what you call diagnostic questions. In other words, something's not right. (laughs) We got to figure out what it is. And I think of a couple of different areas of application. One would be, we'll come back to sales, marketing, business development. You're trying to help a prospect identify a problem, maybe one that they're not fully aware of. But certainly an important case for diagnostic questions is in healthcare. You in your book, Ask More, follow the character of a nurse practitioner and trying to learn from a group of people that may not ask for help very well of what's going wrong. I saw a study, Frank, that came out in 2018 and was published in the Journal of General Internal Medicine. And I think it points out how bad question asking is in healthcare. According to this study, physicians give patients an average of 11 seconds to describe their issue before cutting them off. And (laughs) specialists on average are even less patient than our general practitioners. So in the very literal world of diagnosis, what's the role of questions? What's some good guidelines to follow? Well, I'm really glad you raised it in this way. And I just have to say before I answer your question, the biggest surprise for me out of writing this book has been its reception among doctors and the medical profession. And in so many cases, I've been asked to come and speak or I've had conversations with them. And they've said, we're not actually very good at this, which is completely counterintuitive because you think doctors are supposed to say, hey, how you doing? What's going on here? And it's for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is our messed up healthcare system in this country where docs don't have enough time but also electronic medical records where your doc walks in with a laptop and proceeds to bury his or her nose in the laptop instead of looking at you and filling out a bunch of questions. And I actually heard of one software that many of these docs use, and it's the fourth question that asks, how are you? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that my response to you is that these diagnostic questions, which are really the what's going on here questions, need to be careful and thorough. You're looking for information. You want to open the conversation in a non-threatening way so that you will put your patient or your counterpart at ease. You don't want to start someone on the defensive. You don't want them to start feeling on edge. You want them to be comfortable. You want to determine what it is you need to know and what good doctors do. They will ask you an open-ended question, what we call an open-ended question, how you doing to see where you go. And then they will narrow in, they will do history, what's called history taking. Well, how long has this been going on? And when did you first notice it? And has it changed over time? And what have you done for it? And has that worked? Because they are taking that information and their knowledge and combining them to try to figure out before they hook you up to some diagnostic machine, what may be going on. I refer to these as sort of the ground floor of questioning. And it's really information gathering. And it's done or should be done in every business and every home and every, you know, critical decision that a family confronts. Because if you don't have the information and you don't have a good lay of the land, you're working from a flawed set of facts, right? There's a lot of talk about this in the country these days, right? You got to get the facts first and you need to ask the right questions to get the right information so you know that you've got the full story. And to take it from a physician-patient setting into a more professional services, a business diagnostic situation as well. Right. So I think I hear you saying 
I'm not sure if my questioning strategy here is very good, Frank, but it's important to establish the current state, to have the counterpart describe it in their language and to determine what's changing or if anything has been changing before jumping in with what you think's wrong. One of the people I interviewed for the book is a turnaround artist. He's a Wall Street guy and he's taken, you know, the basket case businesses in the country and he's gone in and he's done what he's had to do. And he gives himself about a three week listening tour where he goes and he grills everybody. What do you do? What's gone wrong? What have you done in the past? Who have you been talking to? What's your supply chain like? Whatever it is. And to really have a sense as to who's connected and who's not. And yes, that is very, very important, as you say. And in a professional environment, it depends who you are, right? If you're new, you're going to be like the doctor. You have to do a history taking. You have to figure out how long it's hurt and what have people tried to do about it in the past. If you've been there for a while and it's a new problem that's cropped up, you've got to identify the symptoms around that problem. If the customer tastes are changing, for example, who is the customer? Who is the new customer? How do they differ? How are you going to determine what those new customers are actually looking for, whether that's a focus group, more questions, or some other means? So it's that sense of curiosity, like what's going on here is probably the key to this, I think. I think back to your time at CNN, and you were there for a number of years at the same time Larry King was there. I don't know the degree to which you knew each other or, or friends, but I remember Larry King Live, right? was the nighttime interview show. Hello, Toledo. You're on the air. Yeah, you're on the air. <laughs> Hello, Los Angeles. And, and from a viewer's perspective, you know, there were times I would look at that and Larry King, it seemed to me he would be just tossing softballs, you know, and, and would never kind of come in with the pointed loaded journalistic question. You know, he would say something like, ah, so Frank, what do you think about a good pastrami sandwich? <laughs> and I would wonder, what's he doing? But I suspect that that's probably why, first of all, he was able to book guests that the quote unquote journalists at CNN could not, but not jumping in, building rapport instead, I guess, because he was able to get a lot out of his guests sometimes, wasn't he? He sure was. And they wanted to go in the air and he drove us the reporter's crazy, right? <laughs> because if Senator Winbag was going to go on his show or a presidential candidate or whoever it was going to be, of course, we'd been covering that same person and we wanted Adam to grill them, right? Senator Winbag, three weeks ago, you said, blah, 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 blah. Do you still stand by those words? Two days ago, you said, blah, blah, blah. Why the flip-flop? And Larry would have Bon and say, so how you doing? <laughs> right. Larry had this thing about when he had authors on the show and he made this public, he would not read their book. I sat in for Larry King on many occasions. I called down to the producer one time and I said, have you got so-and-so's book? I'd like to see it. And there was silence on the other end of the phone. They said, well, what do you want the book for? <laughs> and I said, well, to read it. <laughs> Isn't that what we're going to talk about? Yeah. So here's why. Larry's approach on the book, for example, was I want this show to resonate with the common person on the street. The common person on the street has not read this book. How would that person ask questions of this author if they had an opportunity? What's the book about? Why'd you write it? What's the best part about it? What's the big secret? What did you discover from it? And as I said, it drove many of the journalists there, especially when he was doing this with a, an elected member of Congress or a president or something like that, crazy. But to be totally fair and to look at it with some time now, really what Larry was doing at the top of those interviews was doing what I mentioned the doctor should do at the beginning of the appointment. It's that open-ended question. It's that non-threatening question. It builds a rapport. It builds a sense of trust. It breaks the ice. Try it. How you doing? Why'd you do this? How can this be better? 
Now, what Larry didn't always do, although sometimes he did, was to zero in, as you say, with, you know, <laughs> the killer app at the right moment. You know, it can't be all open-ended softball questions or you're just handing somebody a microphone and saying, go ahead and make a commercial. That's not very interesting. And it's certainly not appropriate in politics where you're really trying to hold somebody accountable to something. But there's a message there in a business, in a professional relationship, in a personal relationship, the power that people don't even think about of that simple, sincere, how you doing? Why'd you do this? What comes next? What do you think about it? I can't emphasize enough how valuable that is. It would seem that that skill would apply to another category of question that you mentioned, the mission question. And I think that applies a lot to listeners who are certainly involved in fundraising or they're recruiting other people into an association or a volunteer capacity for a not-for-profit, whatever that might be. And you frame that as the big solvable problem, right? where you want to kind of engage them through questions into finding those areas that you and they are both interested in, in tackling. Can you talk a little bit about mission questions and what makes those special? This can be a nonprofit, as you say. We're raising money for a children's wing in the hospital. It can be a business, and it's a mission-driven business, whether it's a technology company that's trying to put a tool in everybody's hands or it's a business that's trying to stand for exceptional quality. I spoke to somebody from the Ritz-Carlton chain of luxury hotels, and their mission is to try to create such memorable experience that they create customers for life. They create this bond with the experience because it's that high-end engagement between the guest and whoever the guest is encountering, whether it's the person checking them in at the front desk or somebody bringing them room service, and it's a mission thing. What are we trying to accomplish here? What's important to you? There's a lot of research on millennials, for example, and how millennials want to work for companies where they feel there's an important social, corporate social responsibility. And so understanding that you can ask that question, what brings you satisfaction? What makes you feel like you've made a contribution? What are we doing together that you think can make this a better place, better world, better company, better whatever? Prompt people to speak. One of the people I speak to in the book in this particular chapter on these kinds of questions is a guy by the name of Rick Leach. And Rick is president of World Food Program U.S. The World Food Program is the largest humanitarian relief organization in the world, and they're feeding tens of millions of hungry people because of drought, starvation, war, pestilence, you name it. It's just brutal. And this guy is super upbeat. But when he is trying to fundraise, trying to bring people on board for his mission, he literally poses questions to them. What are we trying to do here? How do we want to make this better? But his most powerful question that he says he delivers to people is, what do you want your role to be? In other words, what do you want to do? Because he feels that if he can get people to respond to that, articulate it, put it into their own words, they are far more invested than if they're just sitting there listening and being given a presentation. And that's how he builds his corporate and individual partnerships that's made such a huge difference in the world. So I'm a big believer, again, as you say, that through the right question, through the right listening, rather than telling somebody something, you're asking, you're drawing them out, and you create a stronger connection bond as a result. Wow, what a great question in that example. I'd like to address at least one more of these categories of questions. And this is the one you call entertaining questions. And I thought that would be interesting 
a lot of the people I interact with, and they're very accomplished, very interesting people, but yet when they get in certain situations and they're just reticent to talk, they may sound like, look, I'm no extrovert. I'm no brilliant conversationalist. Frank, I can tell you I'm a messaging expert, but ask anyone who knows me, I'm not a brilliant conversationalist. I think a lot of the questions, though, that you get into can help someone be the inspired host. They can be an interesting person, but they don't have to carry the load. It's just through the questions that they ask. So whether it be in networking events or putting friends together, whatever the case might be, what are the role of entertaining questions? Oh, drawing a smile or a laugh, getting people to our strangers to get to know one another, breaking the ice. I have a friend, she's hysterically funny, and she has this big silver bowl and at the end of dinner, over dessert and coffee, in the bowl, there are these little folded pieces of paper, and she passes the bowl around. And it's a question, and you have to pull out the paper. You get about 12 seconds to think. No, you get about three seconds to think. <laughs> and then you have to read the question, and you have to answer it. Now, I'm a pretty hip guy, but I was not prepared when I had dinner at Betty's house last time, when I opened my question and said, Adele or Beyonce? <laughs> <laughs> Were you familiar with those two female artists? Enough to not have baked Alaska dumped on my head or whatever it was we were eating <laughs> at the time. So I tried. Yes. I have another friend who, when he entertains, he sends out a question to people before dinner, before we come. Last time I went, there were four couples and we didn't know one another. He knew everybody, obviously, but we, I didn't, we'd met, but we weren't deep friends. He's also kind of a talk show host in his own right at the front of the table. He'll kind of throw something out there, a question out there for people to chew on. But the question that he said, he sent an email a couple days before and he said, come prepared to talk about the one most unobvious thing that blows you away. What's one unobvious thing that blows you away? And different people came with fascinating questions and responses to that, which then led them to storytelling. And as they told stories, they often were stories that related to their lives. So not only were they now speaking and telling a story, but they were actually introducing themselves to us. So one guy I write about in the book is a venture capitalist. His family comes from India. And the unobvious thing that blows him away is air conditioning because it transformed his village that was 100 and however many degrees where he grew up. And when he went back recently to visit his village and everybody had air conditioning, not everybody, but many had air conditioning, it was an altogether different place. But he started telling stories about what it was like when it was super hot and he was a kid and nobody could go out and the bed that he laid down on and how they tried to cool themselves off in the river and what the village was like and how things came. And it was mesmerizing. It was just so interesting. So I think everybody can do that and they can be simple ones or they can be questions that are designed to draw people out without being obnoxious about it. I like to say you can kind of be a talk show host at your own dinner table if you want. And that's the art in it is to use it to kind of move it around and draw different people out so everybody has a chance to speak. That's outstanding. And they're not subject to an interrogation. They're not subject to an interrogation. And look, we play games, right? A lot of games, whether it's Trivial Pursuit or this or that, you know, I mean, some of them, they do this. We like Jeopardy. You kind of work backwards into the question there. This is a tried and true method, but we don't apply it enough to our lives. And we also get into a rut of asking the same question over and over again. How many kids could you talk to? And they would say, if they were given truth serum, dad asks the same question. How was your day? What did you do today? You know, right? Mix it up. Frank, is there anything that is, whether it's blowing you away or just you find it notable and interesting as you've gone back, now you're on a university campus and what you're seeing in this generation of 
whether they be aspiring journalists or media people, or they want to work in government or not-for-profits? What are you seeing? Well, what I'm seeing is actually something that I think is cultural, and it's something that concerns me a lot, and that is that we have become a culture of assertion and argument more than curiosity and ask. People are very quick to offer their opinions, as I say. (laughs) Sometimes we're more generous with exclamation points than we are with question marks. And that relates to the tenor of our public discourse in this country. It relates certainly to the tenor of our political discourse, which is all about pointing fingers. I have a chapter in the book on empathy, and questions are key to empathy. If I'm going to really be able to put myself in someone else's shoes, I need to ask them and ask myself a lot of questions about how those shoes fit and where they're pointed and where they've been before and what they feel like. And I think as I look around, very encouraged by young people because I think young people are more connected than any generation ever in human history. They are more exposed to more people and places because they live online, but they're also more fragmented than any generation. They're also more capable of being by themselves and existing in a virtual world. And knowing how to be present, we talk a lot about that, and knowing how to listen deeply so that we can really feel someone else's ideas and experience, and knowing how to ask to go deeper, you know, two, three, four questions deep so we follow something. I don't want to say these are lost arts, but they are imperiled by just the speed and the sheer volume of information now. So I hope and I think that we can push back against these trends because we're humans after all, but it's not going to come easy and it's not without a lot of distractions around us. It's an opportunity to connect in family and community and certainly a way for us all to stand out in a professional situation as well, to be able to go back to some of these lost arts, lost skill, as Frank Sesno describes. The book is called Ask More. I can highly recommend it. This is one that there's really specific guidance as well as examples or interview questions that you might consider adopting and tailoring for your own use. It's one that I can recommend. Again, you'll come back to it time and again. Frank, do you have any idea for a sequel? Maybe ask even more? (laughs) Well, maybe so. Actually, what I'm thinking about is maybe developing my own podcast or a show that we would call Ask More or something like it, where we would ask questions of brilliant people that are not commonly asked to understand their depth of character, where their motivations come from, And for them to offer us both informational and truly inspiring guidance about what they know and how they ask. So, yeah, maybe there's a sequel there, but maybe it's a multimedia sequel. What do you think? (laughs) It could be. And we'll look for that. And I'll be happy to offer all sorts of unsolicited advice with a podcast. I'll take it. I'll ask you, you know, you're a podcast (laughs) pro, you know, I'm going to, I'll pick your brain. You won't be able to even imagine the next level of fame and fortune, (laughs) you know, beyond what you've already had in an amazing career. Frank Sesno, thank you for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast. Well, it's been a great pleasure. Good luck. And as I like to say, keep asking. Thanks for joining us on the Manager Message podcast. You won't want to miss a single episode, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And please take a brief moment to rate and review. The five-star ratings are the ones that matter so that it's easy for other professionals to find us and join the fun. If you find these conversations useful in your business, 
then I can recommend another free weekly resource, the Message Manager Memo. It's a brief weekly email with practical tips and examples. You'll actually enjoy seeing it in your inbox. It takes about, oh, 10 seconds to sign up on my website, jimcarr.com, K-A-R-R-H. I would be happy to connect with you on LinkedIn, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jim Carr. And let's talk directly. You might have suggestions for the podcast or want to bounce a messaging idea. Perhaps your organization needs to sharpen its message and equip more people with the tools and confidence to share it widely and consistently. Perhaps you know of an association or company that would be a great fit to have me visit as a professional speaker. You can email me directly at jim at jimcar.com and set up a time to talk by phone if you like. My mobile number is also on the website. Try to keep it simple. We have three steps, no pressure. You and I have a phone or Zoom conversation for a few minutes. We assess what it is you're trying to accomplish and whether I can help. And if so, then we begin to put together a plan. As always, I appreciate your time and enthusiasm for letting your world know about what you do and its value. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at manageyourmessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.